welcome to uh, another episode of Coaches Chatters. Um, this episode we've got Stephanie Slater, um, who is a swimmer, and we're going to be looking at her journey and her role in sport and what she's achieved, but also the coaches' side of her her development. Um, so welcome, welcome to the show. Um, Thank you. And uh, yeah, just starting off, what's your what's your sporting journey? Yeah, so my sporting journey is a, um, a great one. Um, but I first started off um, swimming when I was uh, three years old. Um, so I just learned to swim. Um, and then I joined a Preston Swimming Club uh, when I was four years old and um, went along with my brother. Um, and then throughout my like childhood, I um, did lots of other sports as well so I was quite fortunate that my parents you know let me get involved with as many sports as as I could like gymnastics athletics netball um and I did um swimming and gymnastics were sort of my main two sports that I um sort of focused on in a way that I really really enjoyed um and it was up until about the age of 11 that I had to actually choose between um, swimming or gymnastics because I got to a high level in both and we're in sort of like the competitive classes and there's just not enough hours in the day to to do both um, so obviously swimming um, got the nod um, and then I competed regionally um, county and nationally um, whilst under Preston Swimming Club and then um, then went into Gallica which was like an elite squad um, and then I won my first um, national title well I won the 50 100 and 200 breaststroke um in 2008 so that was my first ever sort of like big breakthrough uh, with my swimming um and then in 2009 I went to university at UCLAN um and I was uh, supported there with the scholarship so it allowed me to continue um, my competitive um, side of my swimming but also um, do my studies um, and then that's when I first made my first GB um, team as well the senior team which was absolutely amazing um, and then I completed my first year at university and I got offered um, a place at the National Tra- British Women's National Training Centre in Swansea um, and obviously it was a fantastic opportunity um, and it was something that I couldn't turn down. Um, so I decided to defer my university um, and go and move down to Swansea all the way from Preston, which was a bit daunting, um, you know, leaving all my friends and family behind. Um, but the goal was obviously to, to try and um, make the London 2012 um, team. Um, but then sadly, five months into um, me training down in Swansea, um, I sustained a traumatic injury um, during a training session. Um, and after numerous tests and scans, um, I was diagnosed with nerve damage to um, the lower part of my brachial plexus in my left arm. And I was told basically that I won't ever be able to swim again. Um, which obviously was, it was indescribable, like 
it was my life. I'd moved, you know, to the other side of the country um, and given everything up for, for my swimming. Um, and then to be told that you could never ever swim again was just heartbreaking. Um, but obviously the, the London 2012 Olympics were was just around the corner and with it being a home games, I just, I couldn't, you know, miss out that opportunity of, of experiencing a home games. Um, so I volunteered um, to be a games maker and I was actually fortunate to get placed um, in the aquatic centre because you didn't get to choose and I just obviously got, got lucky um, and got placed at the aquatic centre um, actually at the Paralympic Games um, and it was just an absolutely fantastic experience um, I got to see um, some of my teammates from Swansea competing and then we also had um, Jack Bridge from Preston he was also competing so it was lovely to see you know people that I knew actually competing and battling out in the pool in front of a home crowd because it was just incredible um, and that's when, after the Paralympics, that's when it sort of inspired me to, to try and get back in the pool, but um, just swimming with one arm. Um, I didn't, didn't know if, you know, if it would take me anywhere or if there was the chances of actually getting into, into Paralympic swimming. Um, but I went back to um, my home coach at Preston Swimming Club, Steve Heaps, and um, basically said to him that I'd, I wanted to get back in the pool um, as a Paris swimmer um, and try and swim with one arm. And he was a bit taken back at first, um, but he gladly said yes and we'd, you know, give it a go um, and see how we got on. Um, but it became apparent after um, a couple of sessions how enormous it was actually going to be um of getting back in and being able to swim with one arm um due to you know like when I when you swim with one arm like especially with me with the nerve damage I had no control over my arm when I was swimming and it was just like a heavy day, dead weight so it was really really difficult um and we literally had to go back right back back to basics um doing basic drills and just floating in the water and it was literally like being back a four-year-old and learning to swim all over again it was I, I could I could only just about manage 25 meters um mm. at the beginning and we just sort of like we we put our heads together and we did a lot of research and um you know we were trolling the internet of trying to find you know ideas of how to like um, adapt things in training and um, the best way of you know being able to travel through the water in an efficient way um, with obviously with my impairment um, and it was hard to as well because obviously I was coming to terms with the fact that I was adapting to a new disability um, but at the same time I was still trying to sort of like keep the love of my sport um, and something that kept my fitness up as well um, um, going. So it was it was difficult, but um, 
I managed to get a classification um, due to my impairment. So I was classified as an S8 swimmer. Um, so I was competing against um, other swimmers um, with impairments similar to me. Um, and I then went to the British Championships, which was, so I got back in the pool in around um, October time in 2012. And then I went to the British Championships in the April of um, 2013, which was, you know, I didn't expect to, to ever get there, you know, sort of thing. It was such a short turnaround. Um, and I actually qualified for the World Championship team and it was just absolutely amazing. Um, so 2013 off I went to Montreal to the to the World Championships and my first international cap as a para swimmer for the GB team. Um, and I came away with a gold and two silvers, which was just incredible. Um, we broke the world record in the um, medley relay um, and I got an individual silver in the 100 butterfly and the 200 IM and I broke the European record in both of those as well. Um, so obviously it was absolutely fantastic. Like I was like, got back and I was like setting all my goals of, you know, hoping to look forward to, to the next Paralympics in, um, in Rio 2016. And, um, you know, sat down with Steve and we went through everything. Um, and I actually had to have, um, eye surgery after I got back from Montreal because I also have um, a degenerative eye condition um, called keratoconus. So I had to have surgery done on that eye. So I had a bit of time out of the water and then got back into things um, looking forward to the 2014. Um, there was Commonwealth Games and the Europeans. So it was a big year. Um, and I actually qualified for both of those championships. So I made my first Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, um, which was great because I had so much home support. Um, and my, my family could come and watch as well with it, just being up the road, which was amazing. Um, and I got a, a silver in the 100 freestyle. I literally just missed out on the goal by like 0.4, which is just it was, it was so, so close. Um, but then after, straight after the Commonwealth Games, um, I had to shoot straight over to Eindhoven. Um, so I missed sort of like the closing ceremony of the Commonwealth Games because we had the European Championships and I had to obviously refocus myself and get myself ready for that. Um, and then at the European Championships, um, in Eindhoven I got seven golds um which was absolutely incredible it was probably the one of the highlights of my career um and I broke um the world record in the 100 butterfly and um European records in a number of my events um so yeah it was absolutely incredible and something that you know will always be a highlight of my career. Um, but then uh, prior to, to those championships, I'd had a bit of a, a niggle with my 
um, left leg, my hip. And it soon after those championships, it soon started to like decline. Um, and it was really starting to affect sort of my, my training and my daily life because I was in an, so much pain and um, my leg was like turning in and things. Um, and it was a bit worrying because I didn't actually know what was going on. And I was diagnosed with a few different things that they thought it could have been. Um, but it wasn't until I had a scan um, on my hip and I'd actually had got um, a labral tear um, and then an impingement, which required me to have surgery. So I had the surgery in the February 2015 and I was pretty much out of the water for the best part of half of that year. Um, and I ended up missing, so I got, um, I was fortunate, I got given a wild card for the world championships that year. But due to my recovery and things, I just wasn't well enough to um, go and compete at those championships. And my health really took a nosedive and I was really, really struggling. And I got diagnosed with a genetic condition um, along with a few other um, medical conditions, um, which... Obviously, I'd, I've had sort of like all my life, but it's it had just materialised um, after the surgery. I don't know if like the surgery had triggered um, a decline or um, it just it just so happened. Um, but it was it was really really tough for me, and obviously the the Paralympic Games were was just around the corner and I just thought like is this going to be another you know what happened in in London 2012 and I did everything possible to you know to, to be able to keep going and to keep training but also trying to to manage my health um which was really really unpredictable um one of my conditions caused me to just collapse without warning, um, which was obviously quite dangerous when you were around a pool. Um, and it was really frightening as well for me um, because I didn't get any warning. I would just drop to the floor. Um, so it was really tough. But obviously in the back of my, like, I always had in my mind, I wanted to go to Rio and I wasn't going to let anything sort of stop me from from doing that and I probably spent more time out of the pool than I did in the pool um, in the run-up into that year in that cycle of, of the Paralympic year um, and I had a niggling shoulder injury as well um, that I was trying to contend with as well as <laughs> sort of all my health problems um, but I made it to the um, to the Rio trials um, and I, I, I actually swam, I didn't swim my main event. Um, I swam in uh, the 100 backstroke first, which wasn't my strongest um, event. But, you know, I was like, really wanted to get that qualifying time to make it onto the team. Because obviously, if you didn't get the qualifying time, you, you, weren't, you weren't going. So it was really all down to that those swims that I had um, and I had two events that I entered 
um, due to obviously the the lack of training that I'd had prior because I just wasn't I wasn't fit enough to to be competing in you know the seven events that I was um, that I'd won gold in at the Europeans prior um, but I managed to um, I didn't make the time in the heat um, but then I made the time in the in the final so it was such a massive relief like just to see that time on the board and just thought, um, I've, I've made it, I've made that team, like, you know, I've just got to get my head down and try and um, do everything I can to, to make sure I make it on that plane um, and make it to Rio. And it was tough, it was touch and go. It was definitely um, a hard couple of months, but I made it onto that plane and I made it to Rio and, I actually came away with a gold and a silver, um, which was just, just to get there in itself was incredible. But to come away from those games with a gold and a silver, and we retained our um, title in the medley relay with the world record again, um, was just incredible. Um, I didn't perform how I wanted to perform. Um, like I didn't I didn't retain my title in the hundred butterfly. Um I being being obviously being the world record holder, um, which was obviously really tough for me. Um, but when I looked back on um, you know, everything that had gone on previously, I was I was really happy with, you know, to, to come away with a medal and a silver medal, which you know is 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 absolutely brilliant so um and I just missed out on a on a bronze as well in my 50 freestyle um so to come away from that I was just obviously fueled with with more um desire to want to to continue and to obviously to go back to uh, the Paralympics and and get that gold medal in the 100 butterfly which was was which was what I was aiming for um and I still my my world record still um was still standing after after the Paralympic Games which was which was like obviously an amazing thing because I knew that like I'd, I was still the world record holder and I still had more in me like I knew I was able to do those sort of times um but after a few weeks after I came back from Rio, I actually had to have um, a corneal transplant done. Um, and I was, it was literally, I think I got back and it was about three or four weeks after I got back and I was straight into um, having this transplant done um, to obviously help to give me some sight back in my, in my eye. Um, and the recovery from that was quite a long period of time because I couldn't get in the pool, I couldn't get my eye wet and I couldn't lift weights in the gym and things. So I had time to sort of, you know, refocus and rethink about what I was going to do going forwards um, and hopefully get back in the pool. Um, and I did get back in the pool after, I think it was around... March time uh, in 2017, I got back in the pool and um, I actually went back home to Preston and um, 
to just just to recover and to sort of try and refocus on things and see how I wanted to to move forward um and then it became apparent that like this shoulder injury that I had just wasn't it just wasn't going away and I then went and had some tests some more tests and more scans done to see you know what the problem was um and it became apparent that my neck when I was when I turned my head like turned my neck my neck was partially dislocating um and it was due to the genetic condition that um that I have and they basically said to me I had I could either have surgery and have to basically stop competitive swimming or not have surgery but not but have to stop competitive swimming which obviously like words couldn't describe how I was in this position a second time round um to be told that you know the only the only decision that I had was to basically stop competitive swimming because if I carried on I could end up having you know having irreparable damage and even paralysis if I took you know one wrong dive or turn and so yeah it was it was really difficult so I had to make that decision um to sadly retire once and for all um from competitive swimming in uh, February 2018 and it's when I look back and I and I think you know I've I've had such a successful AB and para um career you know winning 11 gold and four silver at international level and then numerous um, national, county, regional medals as well. It's and and to and to still be um, a world record holder at the moment. It's it's just absolutely incredible. Um, but I've had I've got a lot of coaches um, that were male and female. Um, you know, along the way since I've been um, three years old uh, throughout all of my sporting career that I have a lot to, to thank um, for getting me to, to be in this position. And um, I was also fortunate enough that I was awarded with an MBE as well for my services to sport in uh, 2017, which, you know, just tops off, um, you know, a fantastic career that I had. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much my <laughs> my career um, and journey. It's it's definitely not been an easy one, but um, obviously I've got a lot to to share and um, my my experiences that I've I've experienced along the way as well as has been um, it's definitely shaped me as a person. So mm. I mean, your your journey is is really incredible. You know, all the ups and downs and sort of how you've how you've overcome that along with the reward of, you know, like you said, in, in IPOV and the, you know, the amount of gold medals you've won, you've got an MBE and you've still got a world record. Um, it's, you know, it's really incredible. Going back to the time where um, you, you, you couldn't get into the London Olympics, um, as, trying to be a volunteer, you know, do you think 
it really was the look of you know being a volunteer in the aquarium and um in the paralympics that you know really influenced you to say you know i can have a go at doing this and trying to overcome your condition yeah definitely like when i i came back from swansea after i'd got the injury and obviously couldn't carry on swimming i was probably at like the lowest point of of you know i'd ever been and if it wasn't for my my family um you know supporting me around me um you know i i, I don't know how i would have um you know got through it but they encouraged me you know to to try and do things that I enjoyed which was you know volunteering and giving something back um so yeah so I just applied um I actually had missed um the initial sort of like applications to do it but then um I saw um an application come up and I thought oh I'm, I'm gonna apply because um, I'd actually applied for tickets as well because I was I really wanted to go and experience it and see you know my friends go and compete um but yeah to get put at the at the aquatic center um and see you know the amazing athletes that were competing and it just it just really like fueled my desire to 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 get back and to think like even if like it wasn't going to materialize that I could do it competitively um, it gave me um, a focus to try and get back and do something that um, you know that I enjoyed in a way that was not going to impact me um, so yeah it was it was definitely something that changed my life and I you know I am forever grateful to be given that opportunity and um, you know, volunteering, you know, I, I met so many volunteers there and it, sh it shapes so many people's life. And that's that's what volunteering does. It's an absolutely amazing um, opportunity. It opens so many doors for you. Um, and I've done so many different volunteering roles throughout my life in different um, in different sporting aspects and also um in a health perspective as well in hospitals and things and it's definitely um shaped my um my life and who I am today and the way that it's opened doors for me and made things possible in life so mm. well, I guess one of the best things about volunteering is you know the stories that, that you hear sometimes um you know, you, you'll bump into somebody like, like you said, other volunteers or some of the athletes and, you know, you'll just speak to them for a bit and you'll just feel so inspired by what they have to say. It's incredible. Um, you spoke about um, sort of how you were not in the best condition um, after hearing the news um, and your family supported you. Do you think there was a lot of um, support from your coach as well, Steve? You know, when you came to him, he could have just said, you know, I, I don't think it's worth risking it. But instead, he really, you know, pushed on and said, you know, let's give it a go and see what happens. What were sort of his um, thoughts behind, um, you know, you joining the Paralympics? Yeah, so when I went back to um, obviously approach Steve um, <laughs> and wanting to get back in the pool, um like I said, it was it was like a bit taken back at first, but then he gladly said yes and um, welcomed me, you know, back into into the into the squad, um, and 
he he's always been um you know so supportive throughout my whole career um and it wouldn't it wouldn't have been possible um you know without Steve and without him you know taking on such an enormous challenge but at the same time he also was the head coach um at Preston Swimming Club and had you know a, cl a full club to run and all the athletes within within the group and he never ever you know forgot like you know about his job and he never you know sort of favoritized me over um you know any other of the athletes it was he and he and, and as well he has another a full-time job as well so it was it was sort of an, a massive um role for Steve to take that on you know with everything else that he had going on um and I just fitted in with it within the um swimming club program um and yeah I just you know st stuck at the back of the lane uh with the other with the other swimmers in my squad and Steve just naturally um, adapted his program, um, you know, to ensure that I could still participate with um, everybody else, but make sure that I wasn't, um, you know, doing too much or it wasn't the right kind of um, training that I should have been doing, um, which was really key, really, because when I first obviously got back in, um, it was new to all of us and as a coach um one of the biggest things is obviously you have to work with the athlete like everybody's not the same and what one what one thing might work for somebody might not work for somebody else um and Steve had previously coached Jack Bridge who was an S10 um, and an SB9 uh, swimmer. So, and his impairment was completely different to my impairment. Um, he was able to use all four of his limbs to swim, whereas I could only use um, one arm and both my legs. So it was very, very different. And um, it did take a lot of time to, to try and figure out what the right best you know what the best training was for me um and it did take a lot of trial and error and I think when you're with a coach it's it's about that and it's about getting that feedback you know doing something trying it and if it doesn't work you know you'd let the coach know you're like actually that that didn't work you know I think we should try something different and I think that's why me and Steve got on you know really well um in the early stages of, of getting me back going because it was all about you know trial and error and I, and I didn't ever you know sort of worry about um you know trialing something new I was always open to trying new things and um you know and if it didn't work it didn't work but we gave it a go do you think um, Sorry, I was just about to say, do you think as well, your relationship with Steve, you know, that sort of one-to-one -one relationship was so much, um, you know, better to, to learn from, you know, like you say, you're doing trial and error. If something did go wrong with Steve, you could have told him and just been like open with him rather than if it was another coach, do you think it would have been a lot harder to, to progress? Yeah, definitely. Like, 
I, I think like like I say, we had we had that great communication there. Um being able to to you know bounce ideas off each other and think like, oh, will this work or will it not work? And and try it and and things like that. And I think when you're in um in that swimming club environment and it's it's a lot easier to to be able to um to be able to do that. Whereas when you're in um in a performance environment, so I've obviously swam in two um like performance training centers um in my career. And when you're in those training centers, it's heavily around looking at like the more technical aspect of things. So you've got a lot more support services um, services around you. So like your strength and conditioning, physiologists, um, nutritionists, um, sports psychologists, um, biomechanics. You know, you've got all these different services around you, which help you to try and look at like what they call the marginal gains of what you can do to try and improve your performance. So I had a very different um, experience with when I was in those environments because we had a lot of more technology and a lot more um, things that were looking at your performances and looking at, at what you were doing in your training. Whereas in the club environment, it was it was just me and the coach um, and working, you know, we had, we had an iPad and we would be filming, you know, things, but we would like try and figure things out between us. Um, so it wasn't until I actually was on the British team that I got some more input into, um, you know, things that could actually help me. And that's when in 2014, um, I made the decision to move to the National Training Centre in, in Manchester purely because of the support services around me. Um, I needed, you know, the input of like physiotherapy with like my health and my with swimming with one arm. Um, it was a lot of stress that was putting onto just the one arm. So it was important that I had those services and Previously, um, when I was training at Gallica, um, I used to travel. I used to drive to Manchester for 50 meter pool. And it really took a toll on, on my health. Um, you know, getting up at half past three in the morning um, and driving all the way to Manchester and training for two hours um, and then doing gym after that for an hour and then driving back, you know, going to college and then driving back again to do it all again. And it was, and I just knew, I was like, I just couldn't do that. And as much as I wanted to stay um, at Preston, um, I just knew that if I wanted to, to go to the Paralympics, that I had to, you know, move and, and make that commitment to, to having all those um, support services around me. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and do you think that the environment definitely helped? You know, you talked about the, the travelling of it, um, going to different places. When you went to um, the GB place in Manchester, do you think it was so much easier? And even though you had necessarily more coaches around you and more people to speak to you, did you think that helped you, definitely? Um, in the beginning, I'd probably say 
it it did it did definitely help me and it helped me to develop um as a as a para swimmer um and having those having that input from all those different sports services definitely helped me as a person as well um to to learn about you know how how to swim um efficiently and um looking at sort of like my nutrition aspect of things so my diet um and getting that input on the um strength and conditioning side of things um in the gym because obviously when I was in the gym before um as an able-bodied athlete my gym program looked very very different um as a power athlete so um it was really great to have that around me but I definitely missed um having that sort of like club environment around me where you know we had other swimmers and when you came to the pool it was sort of like you didn't really um like the focus was there because I was in sort of like obviously the top squad that had like national swimmers and everybody sort of was like wanting the same goal um but there wasn't that much pressure sort of seen upon you when you were in that environment and I could go home and sort of like switch off whereas in when I was in the performance um center I felt like I was in a bubble I was in a performance bubble and that was literally like my life um and I was you know constantly focused on that and I was living with other um with other athletes as well um and things whereas when I was at home I was living with my family um so it was very very different and I definitely had gained things from both um environments and I can't say that like, you know, one environment was better than the other environment because there was definitely aspects of both environments that um, I really enjoyed and I, and I felt worked really well for me. Um, but definitely having, um, you know, different coaching aspects definitely helped a lot um, in, in my performances going forwards. And would you say, you know, you spoke about your little bubble there about um, sort of that performance bubble. Would you say the pressure of being in that bubble compared to being at home kind of pushed you on towards, you know, Eindhoven and Rio and stuff like that? Would you say that was a massive vocal point into you saying, I'm going to go out and, you know, smash this? Yeah, definitely. So like when I was in, um, you know, the training in the training centre, um, in Manchester like you know we we were all wanting to aim for the same championships um, and which was great because obviously I had other people around me that wanted the same goals and we were all aiming for the same um, the same championships so definitely that definitely spurred me on um, but it after the after 2014 and um obviously with my injury, with my having the hip surgery, it definitely made me realise that like I needed that family support around me more. Um, and I can't, I can't honestly say if like, if I didn't have that surgery, if things, um, you know, might have been different, but um, 
after me coming back after my injury it was it was a lot harder for me in that performance environment um and trying to sort of juggle everything um you know especially my health um and doing it sort of alone as well because I didn't my family were down the road but obviously I was coming back to um an empty apartment because the people I lived with were athletes and they were training. So I was coming back some days, you know, to an empty apartment and I was on my own um, and it was difficult. And then, you know, when the athletes would then come back, you know, from training sessions, they might be like, oh, I had a really hard session and, you know, I had a really good session and I did this and I did that. And, And it was hard because like, I wanted to do that um but I couldn't and it was it was really difficult um but at the same time I still had sort of like because I was a funded athlete I still had you know um I was still bound to to doing um being a professional athlete and what being back in the pool so there was always sort of like that clinging over me constantly um Whereas, you know, if I was back at home, um, you know, I would have been with my support bubble and um, that would have obviously helped me um, along the way of being able to sort of separate the two. And that's what I ended up doing um, after my eye surgery um, in 2016. That's when I went back home and sort of did a mixture of um of the two of being at home and and being in the in the training center but obviously sadly things didn't um couldn't continue and obviously I had to retire but um it's 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 vitally important that like you're having that support bubble and I think like as a coach um it's important that um they they can see that um you know that you have a support bubble outside of that and are um you know want to to make sure that like you're doing things that um you know that you enjoy and um because when you're in that in that performance environment it's it's very easy to be tunnel visioned into just focusing on your sport and something that my parents had always instilled in me from a very young age was always to keep my education up. Um, so I was very fortunate that I, I did that and I kept, I went, you know, went to college, I went to university um, and I did my volunteering alongside my um, sport to ensure that if ever came the time when I had to retire because obviously like one day you could be you could be swimming and the next day you're off the team and you have to you have to provide for yourself um so I knew that I had to do that and I made sure I kept up my qualifications to ensure that when the time came that I could go into um you know, another career straight straight away and be able to, um, you know, fund myself. Um, but some athletes didn't do that. And 
it was it was tough because some coaches take um the look of you should just be focusing on your sport whereas some coaches are very open to saying that you know you've got you can do your sport but also your outside life as well is is as important to to um as as your swimming is because you know like sport isn't obviously everything at the end of the day like for me like my health obviously had to come first and um I achieved obviously so much in my in my career but that career has to come to an end at some point and it's that's why like whenever I speak to up-and-coming athletes um and coaches as well it's it's important that you get that fine balance of your, you know, your education, your social side and your competitive side of things as well. Yeah. And I think um, you touched on it quite a lot there about sort of like your own health. Uh, and I think one of the things that I've learned definitely throughout these, these podcasts is listening about other athletes sort of you on their own sort of health and, and mental health. Um, would you say that coaches sort of forget that, you know, you talked about a tunnel vision, how some coaches just say, you know, your main focus is, is sport and the end product. Would you say some coaches kind of miss out the, the fact that, you know, you need to look after your social well-being, your, you know, your mental health. And is there sort of things provided like psychologists and people and resources out there to help those issues? Yeah, definitely. I, I do think sometimes that some coaches can you know get in that tunnel vision and, and forget and and I think as well it's it's on the athlete side as well because with an athlete and coach like that relationship is is vitally important and when that communication breaks down that's when things you know things can spiral out of control um and I think having that athlete and coach relationship you, you you're able to um understand you know how that person works and what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy and you know what works for them um and sometimes I think some coaches you know not probably not through their their own fault sometimes it might be external pressures um or it just purely you know they just they're just tunnel visioned into thinking this is what the goal is this is what they're going to do they sometimes forget that um that social well-being aspect and I think when I was in that performance environment we did have obviously access to the sports psychology and it is vitally important that um athletes get that and the mental health side of things because it is hard it is really hard and some athletes you know they might not show what they're actually experiencing and some is too too worried to you know to talk to talk about it um so that's why having that athlete and coach relationship is really important because you know they're able to have somebody that they can trust and that they can you know, go and talk to, you know, if they're worrying about something, you know, it might be outside of, of sport, but if they don't have that good relationship, they might not feel that they can talk about that. And then that can then have a detrimental effect on their performance. And then before you know it, the coach is then questioning, well, why, why are we not performing? And 
that's when it, it all, you know, you have to look at it as a bigger picture. Um, and for me, obviously mine was like my health and making sure that like I was fit enough and well enough to actually turn up to a training session in the morning or in an afternoon. And, you know, like, was I able to complete a week's training? Um, you know, and it's all about, with me, it was having that athlete and coach relationship and being able to adapt the session um, and knowing that if I needed to have, you know, a week off, that I needed to have a week off. And it wasn't because I was being lazy and I didn't want to do it. It was purely because my body needed a week off. Um, and I think, you know, like going forward with other coaches, it is vitally important that, you know, you do listen to your to your athletes um, and you do you do get that understanding because it's. That's when I, the biggest thing is like the breakdown of communication, communication is is just the biggest thing in coaching. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what style of coaching you are. Like, there's lots of different coaching models out there, but communication is is the number one thing that has to be right. And if it's not, it doesn't work. Mm, and I feel that's such a big lesson to to take. Is um, any coach listening or or who's seen this? you know, we'll understand that communication is such an important thing from, you know, instructions for tactics in a game or, or, or a session, or even just the fact of, you know, if somebody comes up to you, you'll know straight away whether they're, you know, feeling happy, sad, anxious or, or whatever. Um, so and I think as well, it, it comes, it comes both ways as well. Like the athlete has to communicate with the coach as much as the coach has to communicate with the athlete like it's got to be, you've got to have that both ways because, you know, like coaches aren't mind readers and neither are athletes. <laughs> and I think like that's where sometimes some people like forget because they think, oh, the coach has to deliver everything um, and the coach has to do this and the coach has to do that. And it's like, Yes, the coach has to provide the guidance and the training and the support, the motivation, all these things. But the athlete has to take ownership of their of their sport and what they're doing. And they have to provide that communication as well um, to enable them to, you know, achieve what they want to achieve. If they're not motivated and they're not, you know, geared towards setting the goals and, and looking to enhance their performance, then the, the coach can't do much more. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely that 50-50 split there. Yeah, definitely. And it's always the fact of, you know, assuming, you know, are the coaches the one that's going to get me rattled up for, for the for the game? And, and sometimes, you know, the coach needs the, the athletes to just, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I'm really confident for the coach to sort of kick in and be like, right, well, oh, sorry, sorry, excuse me, um, to be to be ready. So it's definitely a 50-50 thing. And you spoke about your education there um, as well. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, do you think uh, it's always good to have not like a plan B, but sort of a route afterwards? Because I think, you know, so many players forget about that next step. If, you know, after I retire, what's next? Or, or if I get dropped the next day, what happens? Do you think that's always a good thing to have in the back of your mind? 
Definitely, yeah. Like I, I, I always say, you know, to to up and coming athletes and even athletes that are still, um, you know, competing at a, a high level, that having, you know, a plan B and even a plan C sometimes, um, is really important. And as a, as an elite athlete, it's not something that you want to to think about. And you know, sometimes you think, oh, you know. I'll, I'll think about it in another year's time sort of thing. But like in elite sport, whether it's a team or an individual sport, it is really, it can be really brutal. And, you know, from one day to the next, you just do not know what will happen. One day you're on the team and next minute you might be dropped and that's it. You know, you, your, your elite career is over um, and you need something to um to obviously to go into next so it is really important and that's why like my parents had always you know told me you know to keep up with my education and to keep up with the things that I loved in life and you know volunteering and giving back um because you know all the coaches that coached me throughout you know throughout the whole of my life whether it had been you know at school whether it had been um you know gymnastics um in, in the whole of my swimming career they they were volunteers a lot of them are all volunteers and they all that's how they all started and so that's why like I always encourage people to get involved with vol volunteering because you know that's where people start and that's where you can open doors to to many many opportunities um and it's it's great to do it alongside um, you know your, your sport because you can you can do it when it fits in around you um, and I like when I was um, from the age of like 16 I had part-time jobs you know whether that be casual or part-time and I was working pretty much right up until um, I went to well I, it was even after I got back from Montreal um, I was working part-time um, and I'd always you know kept up with things like that and it's it is really important and it's it's something as well to to keep a, um, a focus as well instead of helping you to be tunnel visioned into what you're doing because sometimes you can be too you know engrossed in being like oh I need to do this and I, I need to try and you know get down to this time and need to do this and sometimes you can be too like heavily involved with it and you need to sometimes take a step back to be able to help yourself move forwards and that definitely helped me yeah and it's, it's almost like a like a refresh you know you you focus so much on your swimming you know to take a step back and you know say help out and and somewhere else, even that's to do with coaching or just a general job, it sort of just refreshes your mind um, and, and sort of helps you out there. And one of the, the things um, you said then was the open doors. So many people, it's so hard to get into sport, whether that's, you know, as an athlete or, or as a coach or um, a psychologist or something like that. It's so hard to get into just a quick volunteer and, you know, it does go a long way. Um, Definitely. One thing I to, to touch on as well, um, you know, you, you volunteered uh, at the London Olympics and you're at the Rio Olympics. Um, in the last podcast, we were talking about sort of um, the audience of, of Paralympic sport. Would you say there, were, there was a difference between the, the amount of people watching in London compared to, to Rio? Um, 
obviously the the um the pool um was probably on a smaller scale like obviously the pool size 50 meter pool but the spectating seating was obviously um slightly different but like the noise like the amount of people that came to watch um you know from all over brazil and every all over the different countries was just absolutely incredible and the noise when you walked out from from that call room ready for to stand behind that block just the noise just blew me away and it's it's incredible because Obviously, Paralympic sport isn't often shown on like the TV um, as much as Olympic sport is. Um, and when it is, like it gets so many people like watching it and it gets so many people engaged. It's just absolutely incredible. And it's just a shame that like more isn't obviously put out there for people to watch because. For me, obviously, that inspired me to um, to get to get back into into sport. And it didn't. It doesn't even matter if it is competitive sport. It could just be somebody that you know has experienced something you know traumatic, or somebody that was born with their with their condition. And it's always thought like, oh, like you know, I can't I can't achieve that when actually they can and nothing should stop them from being able to, whether it be, you know, just going down to their, their local leisure centre or to their park or being able to, to walk a few steps, things like that. And it's just being able to see other people and being able to, you know, hear about um, people's stories and um, having like names that people can look up to. It's, it's really important because as I, was like um, an able-bodied swimmer. I had people, you know, from watching on the telly um, and things that I looked up to and wanted to be like um, within sport. Um, so it's really important, but hopefully, you know, Channel 4 have done an absolutely amazing job, at, um, you know, getting the Paralympic sports out on their channels and um, getting them out on social media and, Hopefully, you know, more can can happen and more can get involved with, um, you know, getting uh, Paralympic names out there and um, showing, you know, the world what they can do and, you know, how hard that they train as, as well, because it's it, they train equally as hard as, you know, if not harder through having to break down barriers um, every day you know to to achieve what they want to achieve in life and what would you say is the best way to try and build build more of an audience more people watching you talked about household uh, household names there you know I don't think there's there's that many in Paralympic sports you know what is the sort of the next step within the next 5 10 15 plus years to try and you know grow Paralympic sport as high as it can go I think it's it's mainly down down to obviously like corporate um associations and things like that wanting to you know showcase um Paralympic athletes amongst you know some of their like TV ads um you know on on TV programs um you know things like that because it it's hard like I I found it incredibly difficult to you know get sponsorship and things like that like I was fortunate that I um 
got sponsored by Speedo, um, which I was, you know, really, really lucky to, to do. And they've actually, since I was um, sponsored, have taken on a, a lot more para-athletes under their sponsorship. And it's great that they, that they are doing that. And hopefully more, you know, big names like that will, will take on more um, para-athletes to, to, to show, you know, that they, that they can do this. And, um, you know, there's like um, companies like Gymshark, you know, which are showcasing, you know, athletes that are, you know, that have a disability and all different uh, backgrounds and, it's it's big companies like this that that can help you know get um get the name out there and showcase um athletes but at the end of the day like athletes need to just go out there and carry on doing what they're doing and you know they they can't do much more than that you know we we go out there and we do our best and that's all you can do and just hope that um what they do you know will show show to other you know companies and hopefully you know like the bbc um and channel four and things like that and other channels and sky um you know we can get on there and get on like things like eurosport and get more um local events you know like the british championships and um you know world championships and europeans and things like that get that out there you know and show them what what they're doing yeah, and I feel like now after after COVID, it, it would be such a great, great thing to get out there. You know, so many people have missed watching sport and watching sport live. You know, it's the best opportunity, I'd say, to to say, you know, we're having this event here in, you know, like Preston, Manchester, um, you know, places like that, um, where you can just go down, you know, get a ticket and, and go watch and, you know, obviously, hopefully be inspired. Definitely. Like, and I think, like, you know, like they say with... Um, social media and things like that you've got like your hometown you know local news and things like that like putting them putting them in the in the in the news you know whenever they've achieved something it's it's brilliant because you know it, it gets people talking about it and you know like after I came back from Rio um you know the support I got from Preston was absolutely incredible and you know it, it really got your name out there and um to show you know what what you can do and um it, it really will and I think after COVID you know it's it's going to be even more important you know to to get behind even like more so like the grassroots mm. level of sport as well because you know especially in swimming like swimming's been hit really hard with having you know the leisure centers closed and hopefully you know we can we can keep you know, some of these swimmers that are at grassroots level, keep them going um, because, you know, they are the up and coming talent. They are the ones, you know, that will be coming through um, later in, in the years to come. So it is really important, you know, that we get behind, you know, sort of these athletes and things, you know, to showcase and to get them out there and to, to say, you know, like, look, this is what I can do. So like, let's, let's get behind everybody and get these, well, fingers crossed, we can get the pools back open, but obviously the other sports as well, get them all get back going as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, the, the closer we can get to opening stuff up and, and having leisure centers and stuff and things that have been hit financially, you know, the second they can start opening up the, 
the, the you know the sport can continue um, and we can really push on. Um, it's been it's been great having you on the show. That's that's, that's everything we've got time for. Um, but yeah, it's been great having having a chat with you um, about your experiences and and sort of the journey you've gone through and things you've had to overcome. Um, so thank you for coming on the show. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Jack. No worries. Uh, for those listening, uh, you can listen on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, watch us on YouTube as well. Uh, the next podcast is going to be in a next couple of days with Stu, a rugby coach, um, talking about his coaching roles. Um, but for now, thank you very much.